Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Dirty 35 podcast series. What we're going to do here is we're going to break the, the prospect countdown down into five player sections. So uh, every five players, you're going to get a podcast. Now, today's podcast, we will be going over prospects 35 through 31. Uh, and this these will come on the days that we have an off day. So we'll have five write-ups. Then on the off day, the day I take a break from giving you a write-up, we'll give you a podcast. Now, uh, if you have any questions or any thoughts, please get a hold of us at Birds on the Black. You can find me at Twitter at KYLER416. Uh, and, and that's the deal. But uh, you know me, I'm not really much for pageantry, so I say that we just kind of get into it. Uh, you know, maybe before we get into it, I also want to say thank you so much for being a part of this, for coming along on this journey. Uh, you know, it's it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to do the Dirty 35, and I just want to provide you with the best content that I possibly can. Uh, I really hope you enjoy these podcasts. I hope you enjoy the write-ups. But if there's anything I'm missing in the write-ups that you would like to have included... Again, hit me up at Twitter. Email me, kyler416 at yahoo.com. I'll get you any way I can. I'll add. I want the Dirty 35 to be the countdown of the people. So get involved. Have some fun with it. Uh, as we started, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, you also need to check out uh, the, the other articles I wrote. I wrote an article about the graduates, the four players off of the Dirty for 35. That's Alex Reyes, Tyler O'Neill, Daniel Ponce de Leon, and Giovanni Gallegos. And then I wrote an article where I talked about 30 different prospects who I've thought about incorporating into the Dirty 35 in some capacity. Uh, that's really in-depth. Pretty intriguing. You should give that a read. Uh, I probably should have done a podcast about that, but I'm too stupid for any of that stuff, as you all very well know. Uh, prospect number 35 on our Dirty 35 content uh, countdown rather is 26-year-old first baseman slash outfielder, but mostly first baseman, Ron Hell Ravelo. Now, uh, Ravelo is really interesting. He's been around the minor leagues. The Cardinals signed him as a minor league free agent entering the uh, 2017 season. So he's been in the Cardinals now. This will be his third year within the organization. Uh, it'll be his fourth year at AAA. He's a non-rester invitee to spring training for the Cardinals. But because he's limited to first and a little bit of outfield, corner outfield, He's going to go back down to Memphis. Uh, he's not on the 40-man, so he doesn't have a clear path to the majors. He's going to have to do some real work to uh, to make him a major league option. I'm kind of surprised he didn't sign with another team. I would have thought another team would give him a better chance of, uh, of reaching his major league goal, but apparently that might not have been the case, or maybe he just feels really comfortable in the Cardinals organization. Either way, uh, I like him a lot. Uh, I want to talk about one of our prospect or one of our prospects, one of our one of my birds on the black colleagues, Alex Chrisafuli. Uh, during prospects after dark, uh, he asked me a question, and the question was something along the lines of, "How in the world is a nine-year veteran of the minor leagues still credited as a prospect?" And the answer is, he's not. He's not a traditional prospect. What I did with my thirty-fifth pick, uh, my thirty-fifth spot on the dirty thirty-five, is I picked a guy who I liked, who deserved a little bit of extra attention, even though he isn't a prospect. Uh, that might make a major league debut at some point. So that's why Ravelo's 35. Honestly, there are other options that are better than Ravelo at 35. Uh, but he has an interesting contact tool, and it's smooth. And he doesn't hit for a lot of power, and that's really what keeps him off of the list. It's what's kept him out of major league baseball. Uh, but 
He, he's just a smooth hitter with a great understanding of the strike zone, has tremendous play coverage. Uh, he doesn't necessarily take the ball to the opposite field as well as maybe you would hope for a guy who doesn't have a lot of power, but he does the best he can uh, contained with his skill. So I appreciate that about Ron Hel Ravelo. The other thing I like about Ravelo a lot is that he's a pretty solid first baseman. Uh, you know, he, he'll dive around. He isn't super fast or super quick, but he does the best, again, that he can with his skills. And I've never seen him uh, get beat at first base. He does everything he can to keep the baseball in front of him. He's he's a very, very good defensive first baseman. And with Ravelo, the only thing that stopped him from making a major league debut until this point is the power. And I know I've said it already, but I wanted to say it again because it's very important, uh, and it's really the underlying narrative when it comes to talking about Ron Hel Ravelo. Uh, you know, other than that, uh, there isn't a ton to talk about. Uh, I think that you know, if things get crazy and he makes a major league debut, you're talking about someone along the lines of you know Jeremy Hazelbaker, Brian Barton, or Brian Barton. Like that's the kind of major league impact someone like Ron Hel Ravelo will make, unless he incorporates power. And then maybe you're talking about you know. Uh, Jose Martinez, something like that. He has the Jose Martinez-esque contact tool. He's kind of that hitter, but he doesn't have the 17 home run power. He doesn't have the 15 plus home run power. He probably doesn't have the 10 plus home run power at the major leagues either. Uh, so that's Ron Hell Ravelo. You know, I, I know that people uh, reasonably so like slash lines and stats like that. So in, in 2018, he hit 308 with a 392 on base percentage uh, and a slugging percentage of 487 while striking out 12% of the time and walking 10% of the time. That gives you an idea of how disciplined of a hitter he is. Uh, he also had 13 home runs and about 400 plate appearances. Uh, again, that projects out over a full season to be you know 15 to 20 home runs, but that's not exactly the type of home run power that you'll see uh, at a major league level, especially because of Pacific Coast League, where Memphis plays, uh, is such a hitter's league. Uh, our next prospect, prospect number 34 on the Dirty 35 countdown for Birds on the Black here, is uh, uh, that lovely and talented Jake Walsh. Now, Jake Walsh is a 23-year-old right-handed pitcher who I, I wanted to incorporate into the Dirty 35 because I like him quite a bit. He's one of my favorite pitchers to watch. Uh, he isn't a wow-you kind of type of pitcher. He throws a fastball that's low 90s. I've, I've heard that it hits 94 uh, he throws a curveball, and that's where his money is going to be made if he makes money on the sport. His curveball is really good. It's 12 to 6. He throws it a little inconsistently, but he's still pretty solid with it. Uh, it's a good pitch. It's a fun pitch to watch. Uh, you're going to want to watch the gifts within the article because it gives you a great idea. I think it's one of the better breaking pitches in the organization. Maybe one of the top 10 for sure uh, if you want to push at a top 5 breaking pitch in the organization. He doesn't have amazing command, but he also doesn't leave very much over the middle of the plate. And that didn't, it didn't start happening until he made his way to Palm Beach in the Florida State League. That's when all of a sudden he started letting the ball wander over the plate a little bit. And it wasn't even that that was the issue. Uh, and, and at the Florida State League is where he ended up struggling a little bit, uh, where his home run totals kind of leveled off and you, his strikeout numbers fell. He went from striking out, uh, um, uh, what was it? He went from striking out nine per nine to striking out six and a half per nine. Uh, he cut his walks down, but he was just leaving too much over the middle of the plate, leaving that fastball up high. When he leaves his fastball up high, it's a concern. He also throws a decent changeup, but the changeup needs work. Um, I like Jake Walsh. I think more than likely he's probably a swing man at best. You know, I, he's got a lot to do with that third pitch for it to for him to like really really matter. 
Uh, but anything could happen. You know, he has good size. I believe he's like 6'2", 6'3", somewhere around there. Uh, I couldn't decide if I wanted to include Jake Walsh or Alex Fagalde. Alex Fagalde is another name you're going to want to keep an eye on. Fagalde has a really, really good two-seamer and a slider, I believe, that is really, really good. And he, he doesn't walk as many people as Walsh has in the past. But he also doesn't command things like as well. Sure, he, do, he doesn't walk as many people, but he leaves stuff over the middle of the plate. And he kind of gets away with it because of how good that two-seamer is. Uh... I went with Walsh because I just like him better. I like watching the curveball. I wanted you guys to see his curveball, and that was part of the reason I uh, I, I chose that. He'll start the year at, at High A Palm Beach more than likely. He could find his way to Springfield in 2019. I would imagine it happens at some point if he doesn't start there. And uh, it's just a matter of if he can develop consistent break, consistent feel for that curve, because sometimes now it flattens out. Uh, but he throws it really well on the outside corner to righties. He'll backdoor it to lefties. I like both the, the way he uses it to both lefties and righties. Uh, and it's just a matter of what happens with the development of a third pitch, uh, whatever that pitch may be. The one thing you're going to hear me say a lot when I'm talking about the development of a third pitch is I like when pitchers throw a cutter as a third pitch instead of like a changeup. A changeup is a feel pitch. You have to have a feel for it. If you don't have feel for it, then you lose it. With a cutter, you can don't, I mean, you still don't want to throw it over the middle of the plate, of course, but you can get away with a little bit more with a cutter as opposed to a changeup. They're both feel pitches, but you have to have a really solid feel of your change uh, where you can get away with. Maybe having marginal feel of your of your cutter every couple nights or, or whatever. So that's Jake Walsh. Jake Walsh is prospect. Jake Walsh. Jake Walsh is prospect number thirty-four on our dirty thirty-five countdown for birds on the black. Prospect number thirty-three is outfielder Justin Williams. Now you guys know Justin Williams. Uh, sorry, I got to take a drink of a beer. You guys will know Justin uh, Williams as one of the three players that the Cardinals acquired for Tom for, for Tommy Pham from Tampa Bay at the trade deadline last year. Now, uh, Justin Williams had a really, really, really good 2017 season at AA. As a 22-year-old at AA, he, in the race system, he had, in 409 plate appearances, he had 14 home runs, uh, a walk rate of 9%, and a strikeout rate of 16.9. Those are stats you're looking for. Now, it got really bad for him at AAA. When I watched him in April play for Durham, you could see a player that honestly looked like he was going to break out. He reminds me a lot, when he's good, of Oscar Mercado when Oscar Mercado was good. Like the two of those guys are a lot of like Mercado hit from the right side, uh, Williams hits from the left side. And maybe that's part of the reason why the Cardinals moved Oscar Mercado. Maybe they saw Justin Williams as uh, a left-handed option, uh, a left-handed uh, Oscar Mercado. And Mercado doesn't have a clear path to the majors. We'll just get Justin Williams, and then that also helps fill an organizational role uh, of a left-handed hitter. Uh, that could very well be the case. Uh, but what ended up happening was about early on in this season at Durham, Williams' mechanics went crazy at the plate. Uh, his hip, the timing of his hips were off. His hips and hands would look like they were operating on two completely different planes. Almost like his brain was trying to do that thing where you rub your belly and pat the top of your head, but with his lower and upper half of the body. Uh, it was a concern. And that stick around all year. It stuck around to the end of the year uh, through the Memphis playoffs. He was bad. I was talking to Randy Kreisman, who is uh, another one of our loyal Birds on the Black, Prospects After Dark People. And he said that, uh, he's, he mentioned on Twitter that, by the way, shout out to Randy. Thank you for all your support. Uh, he mentioned on Twitter that he would have liked to have seen Williams get the call instead of Greg Garcia wasting left-handed at-bats down the stretch. And I feel confident when I tell you that Justin Williams at the end of the 20. 
2018 season was, would not have been any better than what we saw out of Greg Garcia. That's a concern for an outfielder, right? If you're getting that Greg Garcia production out of a middle infielder, you might be able to deal with it. But out of an outfielder, you don't get that. Uh, so the issue, the main underlying issue with Justin Williams is he has a lot of mechanical work to do. And until he irons out those mechanics, uh, he's not ever going to reach his potential. But as recently as one year ago, those mechanics were solid. His hands were smooth and quick. Uh, he didn't lengthen his swing. He Again, his upper body and his lower body were working in sync. That's going to be the big thing for him. Uh, he kind of toys with his front foot. Sometimes he opens it. Sometimes he closes it. I, whatever gets him comfortable, I, I don't know. I think that he could also benefit maybe from, this is going to sound crazy, but maybe even lowering his hands a little bit. He has a really, really flat swing, and I'd like to see him get a little uppercut on it. Not the whole launch angle revolution thing, but just because I think that his swing is better suited for it. He does have interesting power uh, on pitches high and outside that he can pull, and that's probably more than likely just like with Jason Hayward. And one thing I do in the article is I compare Justin Williams to like the bad version of Jason Hayward. Like at his best, that's what Justin Williams is when he has these mechanics. He can be more than that, uh, but right now he reminds me of just uh, uh, the ground ball, soft hitting, runs into power every once in a while version of Jason Hayward. Uh, that's Justin Williams right now. He's not the kind of player you would want on a 25-man. Now, anything could happen. And again, one of the things, one of the stories that went to warm-up was that Justin Williams punched a television, broke his hand. Uh, again, I don't write about that in the article. I don't really care about that. I feel, I'm sure the kid broke up with his girlfriend or his girlfriend broke up with him and he punched a television or whatever. It doesn't matter. They say he's ready to go for spring, so it's a moot point to me. I don't care about it at all. Uh, but with a little mechanical adjustment, you could be talking about somebody who can make a positive major league impact. What I know is he's a very good right fielder. He's rangy uh, to the gap, uh, the right center field gap, and his arm is really good. Within the article is a gif of him throwing out Ronald Acuna. And you might not like the camera angle, but you can actually see that like he just pops up in the picture, throws almost flat-footed, and gets Acuna at second. It's a beautiful throw uh, and a great, greatly athletic play. I am not the highest on Justin Williams, the version of Justin Williams that we saw as a member of the Cardinals organization in 2018. But I can tell you, going back and watching the footage of April, Justin Williams, and also Justin Williams from 2017 as part of the Tampa Bay organization, is a really intriguing player. If he can find his groove, uh, that he, if he can rediscover that groove, rather, then we might be in for something special. All right, well, prospect number 32 on our Dirty 35 countdown is... One of the more controversial prospects in the Cardinals organization. He is a 20-year-old kid with a lot of hype that accompanied him as he was drafted 23rd overall. That is shortstop Delvin Perez. Uh, I could almost do an entire podcast on Delvin Perez alone, and maybe someday we do that. But I guess what I want to cover most about Delvin Perez while his stat line uh, in 2018 of a 10% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate, a 213 average, a 3 on 301 on base percentage and a miserable 272 slugging percentage uh paints a picture of a player who had a terrible, awful, miserable 2018 season and the type of player prospect that you write off. I could understand completely why somebody would want to do that, but I am not there yet. Uh part of the reason it took me so many attempts to do the Dirty 35 to rank it. And normally it takes me like four or five drafts and I settle on a list. It took me somewhere in excess of 15 drafts 
uh, to come up with my dirty 35 prospects. And he's one of the major reasons why I had him as high as 23. I had him off the list a couple times. I just couldn't decide. But I'm not ready to give up on him. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the hustle was there in 2018, which is a major concern for him entering the season. Uh, the defensive acumen was there. Watch the gifts in the article. You can see that he's a good defender. You can see the athleticism. I say in the article at the bottom that he's the third best defensive infielder in the organization behind Edwin Figuera, who's a shortstop that I didn't write about, and Evan Mendoza, a third baseman, who you're going to be hearing about here in a couple weeks. Uh, the defense is there, the hustle is there, the speed's there. Uh, the speed's going to help him a great deal because he's 100 and he's listed at like 170 or 165 or something like that. I look at him, I see a guy who's like 130. He's not much bigger. Like, again, I coach 14 year old boys and he he's like, he looks like he's the weight of those kids. Uh, there just isn't enough weight. He needs to add bulk. He's never going to hit for any type of slug if he doesn't add bulk. Uh, but the other reason I wanted to talk about Delvin is he had a miserable August that really weighed down his stats. Uh, entering August, he, you know, <laughs> the thing is when you weigh very little, right, you hurt yourself. He hasn't played a full season yet. He'll be entering his first full season, uh, or his first season at a member of a full season affiliate in 2019. I'm sure he'll be assigned to Peoria. At State College, it's a half season. Uh, it starts in the middle of June. And when you're small, it's hard to sub sustain. Like when you're that skinny, when you're that svelte, uh, it's hard to sustain for a long period of time. And I think that that helped that happen with Delvin in 2018. Uh, on August 1st, at the beginning of business day on August 1st, he was hitting 260 with a 353 on base percentage. And again, a miserable slug, 313. Slugging's not his game. It's something that he needs a bulk up to have happen with a 12% walk rate and a 20% strikeout rate. And then from August 1st until the end of the year, so one month, he, he hit 157 with a 235 on base percentage and a 222 slugging percentage. His walk rate dropped to 7.5, and his strikeout rate also went down, but it was basically the same. It went down 1%. Uh, he fatigued out. Any way you cut it, he fatigued out. He has to get bigger. He has to get stronger. When you see pictures of him at spring training, it doesn't look like he did either of those things. So that's going to be the big difference. But to sum up my feelings about Delvin's 2018 season, the hustle was there, which was a concern. The defense was there, which was also a concern. Both of those are positives. He showed signs early on for the first two months of the season, of the short season, of being a contributor, a contributor, a potential contributor who could get on base. Uh, and then he started pressing in April, and he was swinging out a lot of stuff, and it really hurt. Uh, and again, with Delvin, he's still only 20. He'll be 20 for the entirety of the 2019 season, playing at Peoria more than likely. And uh, still, with out adding weight, I would imagine by the time we get to August, we're talking about a player who's showing signs of fatigue. Uh, don't give up on Delvin just yet. People want to call him a bust. I can't imagine how you could call a 20-year-old a bust uh, who's still within the organization. Uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Maybe after this year, we can call him a bust. Maybe we can call him a legitimate prospect. Uh, we thought we were going to be in that position entering this year, and we aren't. And the reason is because there's still so many questions uh, and so many questions that weren't answered and there aren't a lot of answers to any questions. So that's Delvin Perez. He's prospect number 32. We will round out this little podcast, this little segment of our Dirty 35 countdown with prospect number 31, outfielder Chase Pender. Now Chase Pender is one of my favorite prospects to watch. Uh, I started watching him when he was at Clemson playing outfield when I was uh, uh, for uh, Seth Beer's uh, freshman and sophomore years, uh, seasons rather. I love Seth Beer. Uh, drafted by the Astros in this past draft. He's going to be at the major leagues sooner than a lot of other people from the 2018 draft. Uh, but 
Pinder's defense caught my eye a great deal. Now, anybody who's who has written an evaluation on Chase Pinder so far has said that he's just an adequate outfielder. And I'm here to tell you that he has adequate skills, but he gets good reads and he has good closing speed. And that makes his adequate skills play up. He's a very good outfielder. He can play center. He has a good arm, uh, above average, I would say an average to above average arm. Uh, he isn't super fast, but he's a hard worker who gets good reads and he covers the gap really well. In Clemson, he would run through a wall to make a catch. Uh, he would scale the wall. He would dive. He would do whatever. He hasn't needed to do that as much in the Cardinals organization so far, but I think it's because of positioning. It seems like the Cardinals are doing a better job of positioning him than Clemson was, and I think that his natural ability is, uh, is helping him uh, instead of having to dive all over the place. I think the ball's just coming to him now. He's finding those spots. Uh, he's a very good outfielder. He'll stick in center. Don't let anyone tell you differently. Uh, the issue with Chase Pinder, well, he has a good contact tool, and he's a very, very disciplined hitter. Uh, you know, his his on-base percentage was right around the 350 mark at both Springfield and Palm Beach. The issue with him is power. Now, the one thing I also want to say is it's rare that a player spends their first full season at uh, the, the floor, in the Florida State League, at the Palm Beach level, at the A-plus level. That doesn't happen a lot, and Pinder did it. So he got off to a terrible start in April. His, his April was forgettable, and then he got hurt at the end of April. So what ended up happening was, and let me see if I can find the dates because I don't want to give you false information. Uh, he came back off of the DL. Again, went on the DL at the beginning of May, missed 17 games, came back on May 18th. And from May 18th until he was promoted to Springfield on August 9th, Pinder hit 284 with a 393 on base percentage and a, pardon me, a 393 slugging percentage. Uh, over those 240 plate appearances, he had nine doubles, two triples, and three home runs to go with a 14.6% walk rate and a 20.8% strikeout rate. All of those numbers are really important. So that's a guy who struggled greatly in April, got hurt, and then blew the cover off the ball in a, a pitcher's league, a heavy, heavy pitcher's league known as the Florida State League. There's more to Pinder than, than just uh, the line that you see, right? Because he ended up hitting something like, you know, 260, 350, 300 slug or something like that. Not very flattering. He's better than that. Now, the issue is he swings mostly with his hands. He's a hand swinger, and that's why he doesn't hit for a lot of power. But at the end of the 2018 season, he started incorporating his lower half. And a lot of times I say lower half, and what I mean is hips. And sometimes it's the, the step timing motion. Some hitters do that. Andy Young, former Cardinals prospect, incorporated that big leg step, and that was a big contributing factor to why he started hitting for power. Uh, but Pinder doesn't do that. Pinder has a nice little step and step and set down. Uh, it, it's again not as exaggerated. And as a matter of fact, it's something that kind of went away a little bit at Springfield. Uh, it was became more of a, an ankle turn. He needs to incorporate power. Power is the one thing that's going to hold him back. If he can incorporate any power at all, he'll go from being a potential fourth or fifth outfielder type as a ceiling to being a, a, a contributing center fielder. But right now, without the power, uh, he, he's going to struggle. He'll start the year at Springfield. He'll start 2019 at Springfield. I would almost guarantee it. And that's a hitter's league, and he's going to have a chance to hit for power. And that's going to be the number that we're going to keep an eye on. Again, if he can keep his strikeout rate between 18 and 20%, that walk rate, uh, which... I mean, is incredible. Even at Springfield, it wasn't terrible over like 34 plate appearances. It was it was 11%. So if he can keep it, we'll just, I mean, for me, I want to see a walk rate of eight. 
if, if a player has a walk rate of eight, and in the minor leagues you want it higher because it's going to regress the major leagues, but if a, a minor leaguer or a player has a walk rate of eight, anything lower than that is a, a question. Anything higher than that is good. I'll take it. Uh, but if, if Pinder can keep that walk rate above 10%, above 8%, keep that strikeout rate right around 20, and then just incorporate a little bit more power, you know, instead of instead of slugging like he did from uh, – uh, from May 18th to August 8th when he slugged 393, if he can get that up to 420 with an on-base percentage that he's capable of putting up between 350 and 380 on a regular basis through an entire full season, then you're talking about a, a player with his defensive ability in center who's going to be able to make a very, very strong um, impact organizationally with the potential to make a major league debut. That's Chase Pinder at his best. We haven't seen it yet, hopefully with power we get there. I know that seemed like a lot of rambling. The other thing about Chase Pinder, uh, you might have heard the last name Pinder. His older brother Chad is a, like a super utility player in the A's organization. He played like second and third and right field and a bunch of different positions for the A's in 2018. And you know, you root for the guys who get this, you root for the parents whose kids end up populating Major League Baseball over and over again. Uh, you root for baseball that's a family affair. And uh, I like both of them, but I like Chase a lot. He's an interesting and an exciting player. He won't get outworked. He runs a bases extremely well. He's not going to steal a lot of bases. He's not super fast. He'll go first to third on any opportunity he gets. Uh, he's a cardinal baseball player. Just a matter of if that power will come. Because, again, you know, I say power will come, but it's just the issue is four home runs and over... 300, what would it be? Hold on, let me do some quick math. Three with the three and the four and then the six. And like 360 plate appearances, four home runs isn't going to cut it. Like if you're a second baseman, you can get away with that. If you're a shortstop, you can get away with that. Maybe as a center fielder, you can get away with that. The Cardinals had John Jay playing center, and we'll get to that here next next round, I think. Uh, but uh, you're just not going to be able to get away with it. So uh, again, he's an interesting player with a great approach, good bat control, great Great understanding of the strike zone. Doesn't get like he doesn't get beat by pitchers very often. Even though the twenty percent strikeout rate you would think would would indicate that it doesn't here. Uh, sometimes he just gets a little too aggressive dealing with fastballs. And what I mean by that is he like he'll let a fastball beat him early and then he'll sit on a fastball late in counts, thinking he's going to get a breaking pitch. That's where he ends up getting beat. But uh, I'm a big fan of Chase Pinder. I hope he incorporates power, as I've said for the nine hundredth time here in the last minute and a half. Uh, because if he does, then we're talking about a very very special uh major potential major league contributor and that's it that's all i've got for you uh that was our first round of podcasts for our dirty 35 prospect countdown at birds on the black as we count down the top 35 prospects in the organization uh stick around again in five days in six days we will have Another round of Dirty 35 write-ups for you. Uh, you're gonna, um, as I look at the list right in front of me, you're talking about a right-handed pitcher, a right-handed reliever, a 20, 21-year-old right-handed stud that a lot of people aren't talking about, a second baseman who fell from grace, and a catching prospect who you're gonna want to know as much about as possible as we talk about a Yadi Armaglina extension and Yadi playing until he's 90. Uh, so for everybody at Birds on the Black, I hope you enjoyed this. Send your questions my way. You can find me at Twitter kyler416. Uh, stay here at our birds on the black podcast network there's amazing stuff going on uh if you watch if you watch this as i'm talking into a camera if you listen to this you're part of the resistance and as always family happy hunting we'll talk to you soon enough